Welcome to Elevation Church. Today we will hear from lead pastor Dave Carroll. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and let's join in now. Now, Captain America's Civil War is the specific movie we're dealing with, and I have to confess to you something. I was not a big comic book guy growing up. How many of you were big comic book people? Like, you just knew the comic books. You know all the alternate universes, all the alternate stories for every superhero that ever exists. Well, that's not me. So you can imagine my horror sitting down in Captain America's Civil War and looking at the, str- at the screen and saying, wait a second, Spider-Man is not supposed to fight Captain America. That just doesn't make sense. Why is Iron Man uh, fighting other su- good guy superheroes? I, what is this? Like, turn this off. This is terrible, right? And so I, I was a little, bit, uh, a little bit confused, but the premise of the movie was that uh, in saving the world, it's a tough job to save the world, right? In saving the world, um, there was some collateral damage. And although they were doing a lot of good and helping a lot of people as a group of superheroes, uh, they were also killing some innocent people. And so there was a fight that broke out, a disagreement that broke out in the uh, Marvel Avengers on who should be able to tell them where they can help around the world. And in this in this question of who should be able to tell them where they can help, Captain America thought that he should be able to call his own shots for the team, and Iron Man decided that he wanted to submit to a governmental authority. And, and then a division started to creep in between the superheroes, and next thing you know, uh, you have Iron Man and Captain America duking it out, and then it just does not compute, does not compute, does not compute. And I'm looking at this and thinking, wow. And, and the whole movie was centered around the theme of unity. Um, unity matters. And we'll talk about why in just a second. Now, if you come out of the abstract of movies into our own life, uh, have you ever had a big fight with a family member, like one that was just memorable? Uh, I had one with my brother. And uh, sibling fights are the best, aren't they? Uh, and by the way, older siblings rule. Uh, can I get an amen from anybody in here? Yeah, older siblings. Now, younger siblings, I know it's kind of quiet in here because some of you, wait a second. But uh, I got in a fight with my brother one day, and I didn't know I was going to be in it. I was babysitting I, the oldest boy out of four boys in our family. And so I'm babysitting them, and my, I'm 15. My next oldest brother is 12. And one day he didn't like a decision that I made. And so what he decided to do was come at me, and he said, Dave, I'm going to kill you. Now, I'd heard this a million times before as an older sibling. I'm like, yeah, sure, you're going to kill me. Until I looked down, and uh, uh, all of a sudden, in his hand, is not a butter knife, not a steak knife, but the fillet knife my dad used to fillet fish. And he had it pointed about, at me about, from about five feet away, and I thought, he is going to kill me. I think, this, I think this is it. And so naturally, I did what all good older brothers do, and I bowed up, and I bluffed. And I, I looked at him straight in the eye, and I said, hey, I'm going to give you to the count of three to put that thing away, or I'm going to take it, and I'm going to shove it right back in you. And, and all the while, inside, I'm going, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. I don't know what's going to happen. And, and, and so he looks, he didn't call my bluff, and he puts the knife down, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to live another day. And uh, fights, uh, it's funny that the worst fights happen with the people we love the most and the people that we shouldn't be fighting with. Can we all agree that? The ones that leave the deepest scars, the one that, ones that hurt us the longest, tend to be with the people that we know and love the best. <clears throat> and while that's a, kind of a, a fun story because I lived, uh, we know that 
unity is broken all the time when you take it into other arenas, uh, fights and marriage. Why is it that uh, you enter a marriage and you claim, oh, we love each other, this is fantastic, and some of the worst things are said um, during fights in a marriage? Or you say that, oh, man, my whole life is for my kids, but yet when the house gets out of control, some of the ugliest stuff comes out in those relationships, or with a sibling, or, or how about with an inheritance, right? Uh, you, you, you get an inheritance given to a family, and there's no quicker way to kill the unity of the family than to decide who gets the money, right? And all of a sudden, the relationships start to divide. And, and so it brings us to a, a principle that we can't begin this conversation about unifying under Christ without this comment, and we have to understand this. And here it is. Write it down. In fact, if you want to take notes, flip over your program and write this down. Here it is. Division gives ground to the enemy every single time. Division gives ground to the enemy. Now, we're almost to the scripture, but we're going to get there. We see this in several arenas. We see this politically. While America is busy arguing about what bathroom a person can use, there's an enemy out there. There's a terrorist out there who's looking and loves the fact that we're caught in division in in our country, and little by little they creep in, and and things that we never dreamed would be in our land, uh, terrorism, bombs going off, mass suicides happening, it's now here because we've been busy bickering with each other instead of being a unified front, moving the army forward politically. But we also see it in the capital C church, don't we? Where all of a sudden, uh, division creeps in among leaders, and then a church splits or a church loses effectiveness, and, and, and infighting starts to happen in the church. And then next thing you know, a church Uh, like Elevation. Praise the Lord that we've had an incredible start. But you want to know what? If we cannot remain unified under Christ, if we can't put aside some of the things that are going to pull at us and divide us, then the best days will be behind and not in front. And so we have to keep unity at the forefront. But not only do we see it in the church, but we see it in our families where all of a sudden marriages are not as close as they used to be. Uh, Maybe you're not as close to your best friends as you used to be because of decisions. Uh, Maybe you you and your mom and dad are drifting apart because of some harsh words that happened. Uh, Maybe uh, you were engaged or dating someone and it didn't work out. And you see division affects our life at every area. And, And here's what we have to understand about division. God hates division. He absolutely hates division. Listen to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. You know when, he, when the, the writer of Proverbs says that there are six, but then has to say, wait, 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 there's a seventh. You know the seventh is pretty important, and here's what it says. Uh, six things the, la- the Lord hates, but seven that are an abomination to him. They are haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and let's say this part together aloud. Say it out loud, nice and strong. And one who sows discord among the brothers. You see, division always gives ground to the enemy, but here's the most important area. It's spiritually. You see, anytime we get 
uh, into battles that really don't have a lot of meaning to them. They're just battles that uh, the only thing at stake is whether or not I win, my pride. Anytime we get consumed in those things uh, that cause division, next thing you know, spiritually, the person that matters the most is God, and we get far from God because of our sin. And so uh, division gives ground to the enemy anywhere where you are fighting and bickering with someone that you should be loving, you can know for sure you are stopping your onward march as the army of God, as a child of God, and you are allowing the enemy to have that ground in your life. And so this is what was happening in the church of Corinth here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. Now, this church was pretty jacked up, right? I mean, this was a very messed up church. When you read through 1 Corinthians, you start to think, wow, I thought the sin in my church was bad. But this church took the cake. I mean, everything under the sun. If you can think of it, they were doing it and probably throwing a, a church party to do it. Uh, that's how bad they were, they were doing. And so Paul comes in. And it's funny, out of all the sin issues he could have started with, he could have gone into the fact that they were, they were uh, having orgy parties or, or that they were slandering and uh, gossiping. He could have done all that first, but that's not where he goes. The very first issue he deals with is in the area of unity. He recognized that this church was starting to fracture. It was a young church. And so this is what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 17. We'll read the entire passage. He says, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. That's Peter. I am of Christ. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or are you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, I want to follow one quick rabbit, rabbit trail very quickly to insert some good theology into you. I know many of us encounter people of different faiths. In fact, I got a text this week uh, saying, thank you for teaching the truth of God's word as they sat at a, uh, another religion's baptism uh, with a family member. And, and so I want to invest this in you. Uh, right here at the end of the scripture, before we go into unity, in this total rabbit trail. Are you all okay with rabbit trails today? I hope so, because uh, I'm on one and I'm not getting off of it for a minute. Um, here Paul is not concerned with whether or not he baptized the people at Corinth. And this gives us some insight into a key theology I just want you to grab a hold of. And it is this, baptism by itself does not save anyone. Baptism is not a part of salvation. Uh, we are saved by grace through faith. Can I get an amen? Yeah, we are saved by grace through faith. And I know many people wonder, uh, well, what if my baptism wasn't what I see in the Scripture? What if, uh, what if I haven't been baptized? Am I still saved, but I've come to saving faith in Christ? The answer is yes. And uh, we see this here with Paul, because if Paul was interested 
and, uh, and baptism being the saving agent of a person, don't you think when he was there sharing the gospel, he would have dunked them all right then and there? Uh, he would have done it. He would have said, oh, hey, uh, we'll baptize you. We'll baptize you. We'll baptize you. That way you're saved. You're saved. But that's not what he did. He said, hey, I preach the gospel. You believe someone else can baptize you. And that's more evidence that we are saved by grace alone. Can I get another amen? All right, now, I'm back on, the, back on the, it's your job. We're back to Captain America. We're back, back to 1 Corinthians and unity. And so, if division gives ground to the enemy, it brings up the question in our minds, how do we avoid division? Well, from the Scripture, uh, there are three ways that we can avoid division. Here's number one. You have to ask yourself, is it worth distinction or is it worth division? This is very important in your faith and in your friendships and your marriage, this principle works. Let me uh, paint it in a church context first for you. Uh, if you come across someone, and, and this happens very frequently, I, I probably encounter this once a month, sometimes more. You come across someone uh, and you start talking about Jesus, and you say, hey, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? More often than not, from everyone of different faiths, of, of different sects, of even cults, they'll say, well, of course Jesus is the Son of God. But if you dig a layer further, you say, does that mean that Jesus is God, that he truly is deity? He's part of the Trinity. Then they go, whoa, I don't know about that. I, I'm okay with that Son of God stuff, but if, if you're going to say Jesus is God, then I don't know. Well, on that issue, that is not a distinction, but that is an area for Division, right? Where you can draw a line and say, well, hang on. The truth of God's word is being violated. It's time to divide. But there are so many other places, uh, especially within the body of Christ, where we're causing division when there should just be a distinction, right? There should just be a distinctive factor. And we say, you know what? That person may come from a slightly different angle, a slightly different theology. They may have a different worship style. But guess what? We're still in the body of Christ. We are still joined together, unified under the head. And so therefore, where we could try to make a division, we're not going to. We are going to make a distinction. And I think this principle uh, carries off all, all the way into your life. I think that there are too many people leaving things behind and, and dividing themselves away from people who care about them, from truth that will change them, and they're pushing it away because they're saying, well, I'm going to make a dividing line when they should be making a distinction and letting God use that distinction to sharpen them. Uh, and so uh, Paul is bringing this up here in the first two verses uh, about not dividing uh, over the different names we see there, Paul and Peter and uh, Apollos and Christ. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, here's number two. If you want to avoid division, this is true in every area of your life, not just the church. Only talk to problem solvers. Now, I love in verse 11, I am so thankful for the lady named Chloe, right? And when I think of Chloe, I think of two folks. I think we have some dear friends here at Elevation who have a daughter named Chloe, and then I think of 24 when Jack is back, right? His right hand, his right hand lady was Chloe who solved all the issues. And uh, uh, I thank God for Chloe because Chloe set a good example for us when problems arise. Uh, who here does not have problems? Raise your hand. Don't do it, right? Because you're going to get judged right there. Uh, who has problems? Raise your hand. Now, turn to the person next to you and say, you have problems, right? <laughs> you do. You have problems. 
You and I always have problems. It doesn't matter if it's in the church. It doesn't matter if it's at home. It doesn't matter if it's at work. It doesn't matter if it's with your family. You and I have problems. But who we talk to about it matters big time in the area of keeping unity, keeping unity and not causing division. Um, What Chloe does is she sends word to Paul. Now, chances are Paul was writing this book, 1 Corinthians, from the town of Ephesus. And so uh, Chloe was a businesswoman, and scholars think that she would send her employees back and forth between Greece uh, and Ephesus, right there, right between Corinth all the way to Ephesus. And so their work journey and their commerce would take them back and forth. There was a day where Chloe probably got fed up with the disunity in the church of Corinth, and she probably pulled an employee aside and said, hey, listen, I need you to find Paul. If you find Paul, I need you to tell him what's going on because I think Paul can help correct this. And there is our principle. Only talk to problem solvers. You see, if you talk to someone about a problem who can help solve the problem, that is called wisdom. When you talk to people who cannot help you solve the problem or point you to Jesus, that is called, say it with me, gossip. That's right. And so gossip is always going to divide. If you talk to people who can solve the problem, then you see hurt and and pain healed uh, in ways that you never thought it could be healed. Uh, We see healing when we do it God's way. It avoids division. Uh, Here's number three. Leave your labels behind. Leave your labels behind. Look at this in verse 12 and 13. Uh, he's, he's making a little distinction here, and here's the thing. Uh, many scholars believe that really they weren't dividing over these names, but that the leaders were taking the fall. They were putting their own names over the different sects in the church. And I'll tell you, good leaders will always stand up and take the bullets so that people can continue uh, growing in Christ and division doesn't creep in. And that's what they did. But here's what he says. He says, I'm of Paul. We know Paul was the one who started the church. The other one says, Apollos. That means people might have been following him because he was a man of great stature. He was impressive. He was one of those guys that when he walked in the room, people just lit up for Jesus. Have you ever been around a person like that? When they walk in the room, you're like, I'm closer to Christ because that person's in the room. That was Apollos. Um, Cephas, Peter, obviously he gave the confession of Christ. And then there's some people who were even possibly Jesus juking. Um, And, you know, I'm not of Paul. I'm not of Peter. I'm not of Apollos. Hey, I'm of Jesus. Have you ever been? uh, I like to call it Jesus juking. Uh, And I, I borrowed the term from someone. Uh, but have you ever been a part of a conversation like, say, you're talking about football? Guys always talk about football. And you're talking about different teams. You say, what team do you like? Oh, and they say, what team do you like? They say, and there's always a person in the room who wants to sound super spiritual, and they say, well, I'm on team Jesus, right? And you're like, oh, great, thanks. I feel like a terrible Christian now, and they just Jesus juked you. Well, some of the, some of the people here were, were Jesus juking everyone, and even that sometimes, trying to appear super spiritual, can create division. But we have to leave our labels behind for the cause of Christ. But the challenge with this is, is that we're born, especially here in America, loving our labels, right? I mean, when we were young and someone called us an all-star, we went, yes. What, who are you? I'm an all-star, right? Get your game on. Go play. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say it. 
Who are you? Well, I'm an honor student. I sat in my boys' end-of-the-year ceremony for middle school and was just dumbfounded at the amount of labels they throw on each student, uh, upwards of 15 or 20 accomplishments. Oh, this person is the lead person here. This person's first chair. This person, and, and we just love our labels, and it, and it carries into our faith and can cause division because now we can get into, well, I'm reformed, and I'm smarter and have better theology, and all the rest of you just sit down. Or, hey, I'm not reformed, and I'm a better evangelist, and you all just better... Uh, Y'all just better come along, and we start dividing. Or uh, other things that have happened in the church, Uh, some people say, well, hey, I study the Bible uh, an hour a day in my quiet time. How much do you? Knowing that the person is going to say five minutes. We love our labels. Uh, We love to say, hey, I'm a traditional worship person. I'm a contemporary worship person. Hey, I, I like expository preaching. When you do this God on film stuff, I don't like that at all. And we just divide and we divide and we divide and we divide when we should be making distinction and we should be losing our labels so that Jesus Christ takes center stage and his kingdom advances. And so that's how we avoid division. But then the title of the message is, it's your job to unify. It's my job to unify. So what is unity? Write this down. Ultimately, at the end of the day, unity is any time the many become one. Any time the many become one. And this is important in the body of Christ. You see, if someone over here on the far right side of the room is hurt by someone, whether it's physically, whether it's spiritually, whether it's emotionally, a true local church who has the many becoming one and is becoming unified When someone is hurt over on this side of the room, someone over on this side of the room notices and grieves. You see, that is unity, where it says, boy, if you hurt them, you hurt me. It was like it hurt my own body. Why? Because I'm a part of the body of Christ, and I care about them. Uh, And you know what? It doesn't make me want to fight. It makes me want to get this thing healed and get it right. See, unity is where the many become one. And, and, uh, and, so, and so here's what happens. We see this in Scripture all over the place. Uh, God's purpose with Adam and Eve was to unify them in marriage, right? He was going to unify them in marriage. And when he unified them in marriage, uh, they were doing really good until this ugly S word crept in. It was the, the word called sin. And when sin crept in, it began to drive a wedge in the marriage, much like sin drove a wedge in the church at Corinth. And the, it wasn't the many becoming one, it was the one turning into many, wasn't it? That's what was going on. And, and so we see that from Adam and Eve. And then we see it with Cain and Abel. And it didn't just stop there. The division continued because can you imagine that conversation? You think you've had tough conversations uh, in your marriage. Think about Adam and Eve for a second underneath that tree. I would have loved to have been a fly on the fruit of the tree where uh, Eve is sitting there listening to Adam deal with God and going, what? What are you doing? When he gets done talking with God, if I'm Eve, I'm ripping into him. You know what I'm saying? I'm going, what are you talking about? And and so the division carries into Cain and Abel. Now, I want to stop here with Cain and Abel for a second. Let me share with you a biblical concept, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your dating life, whether it's in your work life, whether it's in your family life, it's in your business life, it doesn't matter. When God created you, he created you with a unity that was given by the Holy Spirit. We see it first and foremost in the church in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, where, where, 
where uh, Paul charges the church not to create unity, not to do things that unify, but he says, preserve the unity. You see, when Adam and Eve were created, there was unity in the marriage. All you have to do is not mess it up. Do you hear what I'm saying? You have to just not mess it up. You have to protect it. But that's not what happened to Cain and Abel. And this is important as we draw into our job to unify. Um, Cain and Abel, they were two guys trying to honor God, right? They were bringing their offering to the Lord. That sounds a lot to me like worship, kind of like what you're doing in here. You're worshiping together. And all of a sudden, pride crept in. Somebody stopped giving their best. Somebody gave in to sin. And because of that, Cain went for the kill shot. He went for the kill shot. The unity he had with his brother It was about to be destroyed, and he was never going to be able to get it back. You know why? Because he didn't just try to divide. He didn't just try to win a war. He went for the kill shot. He said, I'm so angry with you. I'm so willing to divide that I'm willing to kill you so that I never have to deal with you ever again. And if we're going to be those who unify in the body of Christ and not divide, we have to grab onto this principle right here. Write it down. It is the most important one of the day. Walk away from the kill shot. Walk away from the kill shot. You see, you might be in a situation where you're in a deep argument with someone in your life or you're really angry at a boss and and you want to go and you just want to rip them to shreds, man, because you want to win. You want to win. But here's the thing. When you win, you lose a friend every single time. You might be in a position where you're ready to take on an affair so you give the kill shot to your marriage. You might be in a position to totally rip a son or daughter up and down, up and down, and kill and sever the relationship so you never have to deal with them again. And these are why, when we, when we don't walk away from the kill shot, this is why families can't spend Christmas together. This is why the marriage, uh, the marriage home, the family, is the toughest place to live. It's because everybody comes home looking to, for the kill instead of looking to unify and stand together. This is why it gets so st- tough to stay in church because inevitably you get to know people and people have issues. And, and when the issues creep in, you got to deal with them. It's like, I don't know if I want that. I'm just going to give them the kill shot. I'm I'm going to gossip about them. I'm going to tarnish their reputation. I'm going to make sure that they die. But that's not who God has called you to be, follower of Christ. He's called you to be a person who brings healing and unity back under the headship of Christ in the body. That is what Paul was urging the church at Corinth to do. And in the movie Captain America, and I, I, I can't promise that this series won't bring a spoiler or two, um, and this, this one will bring a spoiler, but in the movie Captain America, uh, I told you how confused I was that Iron Man and Captain America would be fighting when I envisioned them as teammates, much like when the church fights. It's like, man, why are we fighting each other, giving the enemy ground? Well, they were in this situation where Captain America had the chance to end the fight. He had the chance to divide for good. But you know what he did? He walked away from the kill shot. Let me ask you a question. Who in your life have you been dreaming about giving the kill shot to? The armor's off. There's nothing to protect the head. And you have the power. You might even be right. 
You might even deserve it. You might be able to injure them financially and hurt them that way. You might be able to keep them from ever working somewhere ever again. You might be able to, uh, to keep them away from your family. You never have to see them again. And you want to give them a kill shot. Who is it that you need to walk away from? Because it's your job as a follower of Christ to unify and to be an agent of reconciliation and healing. Who is it? Who is it? When you think of the person, boy, it just makes you angry. And you want to win. But yet in your winning, you're causing division. You don't realize, like Captain America realized right there, he knew that in the future he would face more battles like we will face more battles in life. And he needed his friend, even though his friend was acting like a jerk. He needed his friend so that he could he could press on in the future. And hey, can I tell you, the people God's put in your life, as annoying as they might be sometimes, as hurtful as they might be, you might need that person for a spiritual battle in the future. Listen to Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 9. This is what it says. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. It's your job to unify, not not someone else's job, not the person who hurts you, not the person who doesn't like you. It's your job, Christian. How do I know that? Because that's what Jesus Christ did for us, right? You see, God is a God of love, but the scripture also tells us that God is a God of wrath. And he could have chose to give us the punishment for sin. But instead, instead, he walked away from that kill shot of his wrath towards sin and, and the punishment we should have taken on. He walked away and he bore the punishment himself so that we could be reconciled to God. Isn't that incredible, church? Isn't that incredible? That's right. Hey, we can praise the Lord for that. That is incredible. And he is calling you and I to do the same. To bring unity to the brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe if there's someone that you're thinking about the kill shot and they're apart from Christ, you walk away from the kill shot so they can be amazed at the behavior. They can be amazed at the attitude, amazed at the response and say, how can you do that? And you can point them to your Savior, right? An opportunity that they might cross from death to life. But here's the truth. It's hard to walk away, isn't it? It's really hard to forgive. It's really hard to not injure when you have the power to injure. But that's not who God called the Christian to be.